day. Make a good decision for your company today and reach MPB listeners through MPB program underwriting. For more information, go to mpbonline.org slash underwriting. Good morning. It's 830 on Wednesday, February 27th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, legislators are debating exactly how to address a doctor shortage in the state. Then, recognizing the signs of an eating disorder. Sometimes it's just the behaviors, like the anxious behaviors. Um, If they have strange food rituals, like I won't eat in front of people, or um, I go to the bathroom immediately after I'm done eating. And after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, a new camp for differently able kids is on the way with a little help from the U.S. military. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi House is advancing a bill designed to keep new medical school graduates in the state. House Bill 1670 would ask the doctors work in rural areas of the state. In return, they wouldn't have to pay state income tax on their earnings for 10 years. House Republican Jeff Smith of Columbus chairs the Ways and Means Committee. He shares the bill's specifics with MPB's Desiree Frazier. What it requires is that a physician be new out of his residency or fellowship. And the reason that's important because some subspecialties do a fellowship and some specialties just do a residency. So within their first 12 months, they can locate in a county that has less than one physician every 2,500 people. And if they locate in that county, they will be able to claim their income tax for a period of 10 years earned in that county They don't have to declare that income tax or pay any income tax on that, those earnings. And it's just for new physicians. It's not for older physicians that maybe want to come and locate. It's to recruit the young ones out of the University Medical Center or William Carey and try to get those people to realize that rural Mississippi is dying for doctors. And I don't mean that as a pun. There was an amendment in the committee that would have given the same privilege to nurse practitioners and physician's assistants. We know we have at least three counties in this state that have no physicians in the counties located practicing. So this would require a practice in a county with less than one physician every 2,500 individuals And if they stay there for 10 years, for 10 years, they do not have to pay income tax on the money earned in that county. Who will administer this program? Well, the program would be administered by the University Medical Center. That's basically the only one. University Medical Center has got a scholarship program now already and a program that they help with residencies located in these under or unserved counties. Is there a similar bill on the Senate side, or will this go over to the Senate? What happens next? You know, this was a a revenue bill, so the deadline's tomorrow. I think it's got a lot of support on both sides, so I think the Senate is waiting for our bill, and I think that it will get a fair treatment over there. 
Representative Jeff Smith, a Republican from Columbus. Angela Ladner is executive director of the Mississippi Psychiatric Association. She talks with our Desiree Frazier about the economic impact just one doctor can have in a small community. The importance of this bill is also to look at the um, economic impact that when a physician moves to a community in our state, the data shows that the economic impact is about $2 million per physician. So when you look at setting up an office and all the staffing and all of the the various services that are needed in order to facilitate being housed in a community, $2 million is not anything that we should turn our head at. And so I think that even brings more um, reason as to why this this piece of legislation is so important. And your specialty is psychiatry? It is. You said there is another bill in the pipeline? There is. Senate Bill 2524 would allow for um, students that are in the Rural um, Physician Scholarship Program, which is a program that was set up about 11 years ago, and the specialties that are involved in that are family medicine, pediatrics, OBGYN, internal medicine, and med-peds. And what it does is it allows for an offset of tuition for students that are in medical school that are willing to do their residency and commit to serving into underserved areas where there are small populations and people need those particular specialties. The bill that we are um, asking for support is to allow a psychiatric resident or a, a student that is in the medical year, fourth year, and they're determining what residency they want to come into, they would be exempted from having to pay back if they chose psychiatry. And so we're just would be opening the opportunity for any um, scholarships that are available after what has been initially funded through the program, then psychiatry would also be an alternative specialty that they could choose, and they would then be, go into what we consider to be those underserved areas and just like the physician, criti- the critical physician bill, but this would be specific to psychiatry. I assume there must be a very limited number of psychiatrists in rural areas. Well, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that. In all honesty, when we look at rural areas, we don't see that other people, meaning other practitioners, are locating in those areas, not just physicians, but if you look at the urban areas, that tends to be where everybody is. And so what we're trying to do with these pieces of legislation is give incentive, to give um, a reason. Because once these people go into these communities, they love it. They want to be there. They don't pick up an office just because they're... um, their debt is now repaid and then start moving back to urban areas. They've established relationships. They have a wonderful patient load. They're ingratiated to these patients and they're not going to leave. They're raising their families there. And that's what this whole thing is about, is about making investment in community and also making investment in mental health services because one in five people over the course of lifetime are going to need the services of a psychiatrist when they have a situation that involves a serious mental health issue. Angela Ladner of the Mississippi Psychiatric Association with our Desiree Frazier. Coming up, advice for recognizing the signs of an eating disorder. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Have you ever wondered, how do I do that? Well, today on Everyday Tech, we're going to tackle some of your everyday tech questions. From emails to social media to Apple Pay and even those confusing home assistant devices. And don't forget, we're still taking your personal tech questions. So join us today at 10 a.m. for Everyday Tech, only on MPB Think Radio.
Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Every hour, another American dies as a a direct result of an eating disorder. That's according to the National Association of Anorexia Nervosa and Associated Disorders. In fact, the group says eating disorders have the highest mortality rate of any form of mental illness. The struggles of people affected by eating disorders are all too familiar to registered dietitian Taylor Van Dyke of Mississippi State University. She says college students and athletes can be particularly vulnerable. She tells our Jasmine Ellis how people can establish a healthy relationship with food. Making sure that you're listening to your body and not eating based on a way that we think that we should be eating based on a certain diet or based on a way that we should be looking and feeding our bodies specifically in a way that nourishes them and gives us energy to do our daily activities. So whether that is your job or if you're a student and you're doing school or if you're an athlete, Um, The nutrition that we eat and take in are all things that help us do all of those things. What are you seeing as a dietitian who works with students affected by eating disorders? We have a couple of different things here on campus. So we do have a pretty large athletic population, and eating disorders are fairly high in the athletic population, more high in the athletic population than the general population. Uh, I specifically do not work with the athletes. The athletes have their own dietitian and their own um, psychologist so that they all work together for athletes. Um, But general student body, which is my area, uh, we do see not crazy high numbers, but I mean, there are several that we work with on our team, I guess. What are the signs that someone might have an eating disorder? Um, Well, there's several different types of eating disorders, so it can be difficult. So there is one of the actually most common eating disorders is binge eating disorder. So that's when people are actually eating typically too much or a large amount without um, feeling like they're able to stop or control themselves. So that's actually one of the biggest ones. So with that one, we don't see a low weight. We typically don't see um, really that much anything out of the ordinary. It's more them reporting to a counselor or a doctor that they are feeling out of control. A lot of times that comes along with like anxiousness or sleep disorder, um, those types of things. With anorexia, that's typically over-exercising and restricting foods or specific foods and calories. Um, And then there's bulimia, which is a purging behavior. So that is typically eating and then purging the calories either by exercise or by uh, making themselves get sick. So there's a lot of different things you can look out for, low weight, um, and sometimes it's just the behaviors, like the anxious behaviors. Um, If they have strange food rituals, like I won't eat in front of people, or um, I go to the bathroom immediately after I'm done eating, or I won't eat certain foods, like I'll only eat these five foods, you see a lot. So like I said, it's kind of difficult because they're all different based on different things. But if even if you have a friend or a family member that you are concerned about, it is worth bringing it up. Because um, like I said, some people might just have those disordered eating behaviors, but not necessarily be diagnosed with an eating disorder. How can you go about getting them help? I guess the best thing is just to be your friend, be a listener, maybe ask some questions about what's going on and express your concern. You know, say, I, you know, I'm not doing this out of a place of hate or It's more just that I'm really concerned about you. I want you to be healthy. I want you to be around for a long time, and I want you to enjoy your life. I want you to be able to eat the things that we all eat, and I don't want you to – I don't want food to be a burden for you because food is something that we should enjoy, and food is for – I mean, for us, it's 
food is a social thing. Um, so somebody having that as something they're constantly thinking about can be very difficult. Um, things that you don't want to say, you definitely don't want to talk about their weight. Or if somebody does, if they are losing weight quickly, it's not always great to be like, oh, wow, you look great, because that tends to feed the issue. So really staying away from any comments that are pertaining to their physical appearance and mostly focusing on them as a person, um, their personality, their traits, rather than those physical traits. Taylor Van Dyke is a dietitian with Mississippi State University. Taylor, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. This week is National Eating Disorders Awareness Week. Coming up, a new camp for differently able kids is on the way with a little help from the U.S. military. That's after a Southern Remedy Health Minute. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Michael Cohen is going to prison for financial crimes and for lying to Congress. I will spend the rest of my life to fix the mistake that I made. But before he goes, he's testifying before a House committee about his business with the president. It's said that I should take responsibility for his dirty deeds. I'm Jeremy Hobson. Join me for live special coverage of the hearing from NPR News. Broadcasting live today on mpbonline.org. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. All right, let's go to John in Mobile. Good morning, John. Let me ask you a question concerning a warning label that the better half noticed. I suffer from diabetes. I live with diabetes, but on the warning label on the electric blanket, there was a cautionary statement about um, being careful not to use this if you have diabetes. So what's the issue about um, electric blankets and diabetes? That would be as it relates to diabetic neuropathy. So, you know, diabetes affects different organs in the body, and it can affect the nerves in your body uh, over time. And you can develop diabetic neuropathy, which basically... You can have pins and needles, sort of a stinging sensation. Some people have pain with it, but you can also have numbness, and the numbness is is more common. And it tends to be in your extremities, like your your. It's sort of a what we call a stocking glove distribution. So it's your hands and your feet, and uh, the feet in particular, you can lose sensation slowly over time to the point where you don't notice it, which is why your physician should be at least asking you about the health of your feet and probably looking at you frequently or sending you to somebody like a podiatrist that can look at your feet. Um, So the warning on the electric blanket has to do with that, that you may not in certain areas of your body, if you have neuropathy, may not can feel how hot it is. You can actually get a thermal burn there to that tissue. So that's that's what they're saying right there. For more health tips and medical information, listen to Southern Remedy each weekday morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio. This is MPB Think Radio. Mississippi is our mission. The Health Minute is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. Live healthy, live blue. It's good to be blue. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. 
Construction of a 326-acre camp in Mississippi is underway, dedicated to serving children and adults with disabilities. Air Force Reserve engineers are partnering with the Mississippi Toughest Kids Foundation to build Camp Kamasa near Crystal Springs. Air Force Reserve Chief Master Sergeant Stacy Gilman is managing construction. He talks with MPB's Desiree Frazier about the project. Camp Kamasa, Mississippi Toughest Kids, filed an application through the government channels through the Air Force Reserve Command to see if the Air Force Reserve Command would pick up Camp Kamasa as a civil engineering project. I would say that was probably about a year and a half ago. I put in for a pool um, of applicants to be a project manager. I was selected to lead this project and uh, came down and got involved, and I am all in. I, I love the project, love the folks, love the city, love the, love the state. What are you going to be doing? You said there's a kickoff coming up and there's going to be more military involved in this? Yes, ma'am. So from, from today through the middle of August, we have uh, two-week rotations of Air Force and Marines coming through. To They're all civil engineers that will work on constructing cabins. We have major milestones. We have a 90-foot bridge to put in. We have several cabins to construct. We have a multi-use building, and we have all the infrastructure that goes with that, the wiring, the plumbing, the sewer, water, all of that that goes with it. It's a huge effort as well as a lot of earth moving as well. Has anything been done yet? Yes, ma'am. So I was here last year. I started uh, at the very beginning of the project. We started with 326 raw acres, and we went in with a heavy equipment package, about a million dollars worth of heavy equipment, and put roads in. We started um, uh, some of the infrastructure. We built a open-air rec building, a multi-use building, and a lot of uh, plumbing and concrete pipe went in the ground. But this year is a lot of upright construction. When will you finish? It's typically a three-year project. They will have to reapply in the fall to, for us to come back next year. But we'll start now. We'll end this year's. It's usually about a five-and-a-half-month process. We'll end around the middle of August. And are the military persons involved in this learning construction? Yes, ma'am. That's the beauty of it. It's a win-win for everyone. So we get to do this fantastic work for a great organization with Mississippi Toughest Kids. But the uh, civil engineers, we have to stay proficient in what we do in building and um, all aspects of building and engineering because we use that when we deploy. So this allows us, when you have new airmen and new soldiers and new Marines, this allows us to spin them up even faster and get more proficient with the daily process of construction. Chief Master Sergeant Stacy Gilman. Mary Kitchens is the founder of Mississippi's Toughest Kids, the organization that will run the camp. She talks with our Desiree Frazier. You mentioned that you have a son who was diagnosed with cancer at an early age, and that impacted your desire to do this. Absolutely, because I know when he was old enough to go to camp, how much it meant to him, how excited he was, how since the age of 10, and he's 45 now, he goes back every year to camp. You know, that's how much it meant to him and how much he wants it to mean to others. But I know that our camp had to move six different times to different locations for different reasons. Other camps, because we've talked to them, the burn camp has moved five times. Muscular dystrophy, sickle cell has moved six times. All of them have not had a one place they could go to throughout their whole existence. So we wanted to create that one place that they could all be, you know, call home. Why will this be different? Because everything about the construction is handicapped accessible. There are no steps anywhere. We are trying not to have even ramps because we want every child to travel the same path and not have to go over here if you're in a wheelchair or not. But the bathrooms, the buildings, the walkways, even getting on the horse and the canoes, everything is going to be possible for every child at camp. 
Can you describe this camp for us? What we'll have is like a week of just children with oncology, uh, with cancer, a week of children with sickle cell, a week of ch- for children with muscular dystrophy. And while they're there, their doctors that treat them at usually Children's Hospital will also be there. We're going to say, like to Camp Rainbow that I've talked about the most, bring your group that you've already got formed. You already have volunteer counselors. You already have doctors and nurses that go to camp every year. Just Pick up from where you're going now and come to our facility that's going to better meet your needs, and it will be a place you will go from now on. It sounds expensive. (laughs) It's very expensive to build. It will be to run. The children will never pay to come. The foundations behind most of our camps are already paying a church campground or state park for the use of their facility for one week. They lease it. So they will continue to pay. The foundation behind the group, Single Cell Foundation, will pay while their children are at our camp, just like they've been paying all along. But we'll always have to have fundraisers. We will always need the donations of generous people. This is a three-year project. Why does it take so long? The military last year, they're doing all the, just about all the construction, started in April and then left in August. Of course, you have to think about Mississippi weather, too. It's unpredictable. Then this year, they're going to be working from April through August, and then they'll leave it. We'll hire private contractors to come on and build. But you've got so many components to that camp. We'll have 14 cabins, a lunchroom, infirmary, which is like a little mini hospital, a big multi-purpose building with a lot of activities in it, then the horses and the lake and the swimming pool. There is a lot to build, and part of it is we build as we can pay for what we're building. We have borrowed some money, but we're trying to avoid that as much as possible. But there's still millions that we are having to pay for the supplies that that they're using. And then we also hired a private contractor to work with the military just to make sure we were all on the same page. There's one thing that we're doing that I think many people could help us with. We want to have a library at camp, which most camps don't have, but we want a very large, nice library because some children can't stay outside in the sun as much as other kids. And we want to be known as the camp when a child leaves camp, he can have a book to take home with him. And so we need lots of gently used books. We've collected about 2,000 so far, but we'll go through those 2,000 fairly fast. So if any group would be interested in just looking through their shelves and coming up with some books, you know, that would be great. And we'd be glad to meet them somewhere and get the books. So they're welcome to come to our office. And, and Where deliver. is your office? It's in Crystal Springs. And the phone number? 601-892-1117. And our website is mtkfound, F-O-U-N-D, found.com. I understand adults can come to this camp. A child with say autism may not understand that at 18 and 19 they've become an adult but they're really not supposed to go to a child a camp with a six-year-old and so we can have adults camps with children that are adults but they're mentally challenged but also adults with cancer there's a lot of adults groups that we're building at the camp that would accommodate their needs also so yes we want to have adults and children but because it's a totally handicapped accessible facility nursing homes could come out for the day and enjoy the camp hudsworth whitfield could come out for the day and enjoy the camp we want it to be operating year-round 
Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Fix It 101. Then at 10, it's Everyday Tech. And 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. If you're interested in following Michael Cohen's testimony before Congress, you can hear it live on our website starting at 9 o'clock. That's at mpbonline.org. Did you miss part of the show today? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online by visiting mpbonline.org. You can also download the MPB Public Media app from the Apple or Google Play stores, or you can subscribe to Mississippi Edition in your favorite podcasting app. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi Edition, only on MPB Think Radio. 